Awesome God, what we know not, would you please teach us this morning? What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So currently I'm in the middle of taking a, getting a master's degree at Wheaton Seminary. And uh, whoop, whoop. And uh, <clears throat> mostly because I really enjoy learning. I think it makes me a better pastor when I'm learning and reading and forced to read. I had to watch five hours of videos yesterday because... The class I'm taking this fall, it's an intensive, it's always an intensive thing where we go for a week and we take classes together. Well, they, earlier this spring, they said, hey, if we were to offer this class in Oxford, England, would you guys want to do that? Yeah, so you always answer that, yes. So we said yes. So this Friday, Dondra, all three girls and I are leaving to go to England for two weeks. Whoop, whoop. So I'm telling you, for several reasons, I'm telling you this this morning. One is, uh, I'm incredibly appreciative of a church that values development. I think that's really important. Uh, none of us on our staff team have it all together, and we're learning always, and I'm thankful that there's support for that, for me especially. Secondly, I'm telling you, because I really would value and cover your prayers as we're gone, just for all the normal things, travel, sleep, uh, being able to really learn some great things. It's a class on evangelism and what it means to just be talking to people about Jesus and who he is. So I'd love that. And the third is, I very intentionally, because I'm going to England, I'm starting with an English illustration to open my sermon. So now you will know why. One of the most famous people from England is a writer. You may have heard his name, Shakespeare. And he has some famous plays and different things that he has done, of course, I am a huge fan of theater. I love all different kinds of theater, plays and musicals and different things like that. And I have to confess to you guys that Shakespeare is a tiny bit over my head, uh, need help understanding what some of those plays mean and how they work out. But um, really, some of his, what he wrote and the different things that he created have still resonate in a lot of ways in our culture and society. There's a very famous line from a play that I'm wondering if you know what it is. It comes, and the line is this, out damn spot, out I say. Do you know what play that's from? Macbeth. Macbeth, thank you. English teacher over here shouting it out. So let me tell you a little bit about Macbeth because it plays this morning. It's a story of, I'm going to grossly oversimplify this, Mandy, so please don't judge me for how I'm going to tell the story, retell the story of Macbeth. It's an incredibly complicated story, but here's the Cliff Notes version, which I was notorious for finding while I was a senior in high school. It's a story of two people, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, who hear a prophecy about Macbeth becoming king. And they take the situation into their own hands, and they kill the king, the current king, and this there leads to Macbeth becoming king, and they spend majority of, if not most of the entirety of the play, dealing with their guilt and their shame in what they've done. They become more and more paranoid, they, they cover up their actions with other killings and other things, doing whatever it takes to not be known, and this inner turmoil in their lives can't be cleansed. Near the end of the play, Lady Macbeth is conscious-ridden. She hasn't slept. She doesn't know what to do with this 
guilt, this shame, her blood-stained hands, and she hasn't been able to sleep. And when she finally does, she has this nightmare. And she's walking around, and in a moment of desperation, after having not been able to deal with this blood that is on her hands, she cries out in this intense moment as she's looking at her hands, and she says, out, damn spot. Out, I say. And then, an incredibly dark conclusion to the play, kills herself because she can't find cleansing. I wonder if today in this room, as you sit here, if you have a similar nightmare, a spot on your hands that you wish was cleansed or could be cleansed. It could be because of your own sin, or it could be because someone sinned against you. Maybe you've been abused, violated, touched inappropriately. Maybe you were the one who abused, violated, or touched another one. Maybe it's something in your story you've never shared, a sexual encounter you regret, a deception you never clarified, an action you feel would make you an outcast. Maybe the words loser or dummy or worthless have been spoken over your life, still weigh heavy over you and your identity, or maybe you are the one who has been the one who spoke those words over other people. Maybe you're the one who introduced someone else to pornography, or maybe you still struggle with pornography. Maybe you're hiding your credit card expenses, your stash of junk food, or your meds from your spouse, your friend, and your parents. Maybe you run a cheating group at school. Maybe you spread rumors and exaggerate stories to make others look bad. Maybe your resume isn't truthful, and you live in fear of being found out. And as you sit here this morning, in the silence of this moment, there is this deep, resonating, loud cry from your heart saying, out damn spot, out I say. Jesus encountered a man with that spot. It was a visible spot. On the one hand, it was a disease called leprosy, but in a broader sense, you see, it was a state of dis-ease that this man encountered. It involved his mind, his body, his soul. Leprosy, in that time, it was a death sentence. And one way, yes, maybe physically, but even more so, it was clearly a social death sentence. The sufferer was commanded to, whenever they were in a certain community of people, to cry out when they entered the room, unclean, unclean. They had these crazy rules that if you were 200 feet away from others, and the wind was blowing one way, you had to shout it out. And if you were in 10 feet in another direction, you had to shout it out. And 
even more so, if someone touched them, it was an elaborate, intense ritual that whoever it was that touched them had to go through so that they could become clean again. Today we encounter a man who knew the intensity of the spot, who knew the pain of being unclean, who'd suffered through years and years, how many we don't know, of being untouched, not cared about, an outcast of society. And in this moment of desperation, he breaks every social norm, everything society has taught him for years and years, and he comes to this new spiritual rabbi on the scene. And in chapter 1, verse 40, he falls on his knees before Jesus, and he says, if you will, you can make me clean. Don't miss the boldness of that request. He doesn't say, if you're willing, you can make me well or better. He says, you can make me clean. That that there's this holistic invitation that he's asking for, this incredibly bold invitation to Jesus to say, I I don't want to just be made better. I want to be cleansed. I want the spot to be gone. I want to be made whole physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I would ask you this morning, do you, is there something in your journey and your life that you came in this morning and if there was a way to be made clean? Well, how does Jesus respond? The first thing we see here is what I'm going to call the guts of Jesus, the internal response of Jesus. Verse 41, it says this, moved with pity, moved with pity. That word pity, it's a great word. I want to teach it to you actually. So the whole Old Testament or New Testament was written in the Greek language and we're reading it in English, right? Translated into English. And sometimes Greek words are really awesome and have a lot of depth to it, and this Greek word does too, and the Greek word is splotchnidzidmai. I want you guys to say that with me. Ready? Splotchnidzidmai. I want you this week sometime to look at somebody and say, I have splotchnidzidmai for you. (laughs) It's a great word because Here's what I like about this. Like, compassion is a good word. It's soft. You know, like, I have compassion. I care about you. But there's something about this word that is used very intentionally that what what Mark wants us to see is it's not not just that he has compassion on him. If you'll see here, the word literally means to experience great affection and compassion for someone, to feel compassion for, to have great affection for, love, compassion. And this is the part that matters the most. It's from the innards. That, that they want you to understand that there's something at the heart from the guts, that's why we use this word here, from the guts of Jesus, like this is his intentional, purposeful response, his instinct, his intuition. It's why we say things like our, our gut response or trust your gut. It's your inclination. It's what automatically comes. And Mark is telling us that when Jesus encountered this outcast, this stained, unclean person, 
that people had to be distanced from and go through crazy rituals to be cleansed from when they were touched by him. When, when this man who breaks all the social norms and comes up to Jesus, his response is different than what the world's response was. The man with leprosy, he would have turned the stomachs of others with disgust, but he turned the stomach of Jesus with compassion. Let that just rest on your soul just for a second. I, when I'm driving, the best way I can think about this, so I, I, when I'm driving, I have this instinctual thing. So if we're dri- I'm driving on the highway, and you start to see all the red lights, and you hit your brakes. I'm, I bet some of you do this too. If someone's driving next to me, I put my arm out. Do you do that? Does anyone do that? No? You guys don't do that? Who, thank you. Okay, Renee. That's what we do. Like, we do this thing, right? Like, we're driving, and we're like, I'm like, oh, break. And it's just this instinctual thing to protect the person next to me. Here's what I love about what's happening in this passage. Jesus sees this person, this man who's hurting, who's been an outcast for all the years of his life, and his gut response is to feel mercy and compassion and love towards him. Every This is conjecture, but I would suggest that every single person who ever saw that man in his life, every single person's immediate, instinctual gut response to that man was to back away. And Jesus' gut response is to move towards. Because his response to those who are unclean is compassion. You know, it's interesting just to press on this even more. I think many of us, when we think about Jesus' instinctual response to us, we often separate our sin from our suffering. So when we're suffering, we think Jesus is compassionate towards us. But when we sin, when we have those secret spots that we wish would go away, we often have much varied responses to how Jesus views us. We think he feels pity and compassion for us when we're hurting, but not the same when our sin is present. When it comes to our sins, you you make your own bed. You caused your own problem there. But the fact is that God, his response to sin, he would say, the greater the misery the greater the compassion. Thomas Goodwin, a famous theologian and writer, he said this, if the intensity of love maps onto the intensity of misery in the one beloved, and if our greatest misery is sinfulness, then God's most intense love and compassion flows down to us in our sinfulness. Basically, what he's arguing there is that Jesus displays a love that isn't tied to our loveliness. In fact, it's the opposite. The more unlovely, the greater the love. Sometimes I think our understanding of the heart and guts of Jesus are too small. And here Jesus shows us the full extent of his heart towards this man, verse 41 and 42. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. 
And he said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Why do you think Mark makes it so explicit here that Jesus touched him? That, that he, he's being so intentional, the language, he, he, he says, he look at the words he used, he stretched out his hand and touched him. He, he's painting a very vivid picture for us. And, and remember, the same thing happens here. Jesus, Jesus could have just said, be clean. He could have just said it. But, but knowing exactly what's happening here in this moment, that, that Jesus, what he does is he actually touches him. He doesn't have to touch him. In fact, it's illegal for Jesus to touch him. But he goes against all the clean laws, and he reaches out his hand, and he cleanses this man. You know, I was thinking about things that I don't like to touch this week. I have this weird thing. I, I cannot touch foam. You guys know, like, like foam sponges, and f like when you have the foam for a sleeping bag, I just, I can't touch it. Like, it gives me, I was going to bring a sponge up here to show you. I couldn't even do it. I couldn't even do it. Like, it, it just, it, it does, there's something about the texture of it that sends, like, this weird thing through, and like, I go out of my way to not touch sponges that are that foamy sponge. And the world went out of their way to not touch this leper. And Jesus, in this incredibly beautiful moment, he, he sets a whole new standard for what it means. And he, he, here, he literally turns everything on its head because the reason why you weren't allowed to touch was because if you touch this person, then you would become unclean, that uncleanliness was contagious. But what Jesus is saying here is he's flipping everything on its head and he's saying suddenly it's not uncleanliness that's contagious, but Jesus' holiness is now contagious. That when he now touches this man, it flips everything on its head, and he makes him clean. It's interesting, Jesus' desire here to then bring this man to even a more holistic healing and, and response. He sternly charged him, verse 43, and sent him away at once. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests." And offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Two things are going on here. We'll, we'll get to in just a second. Why does he say don't tell? But, but I want to address the second thing that Jesus talks to him about. Where he's saying, go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. It, it's interesting. In the Levitical system, which is where Jesus is drawing this from, you see that Jesus had a, an extremely high view of the law. If you touched anything unclean, you became unclean. And Jesus isn't rejecting the purity laws here. 
There's actually laws about if your leprosy leaves you, how to be made unclean. And that's what he's telling him here. I want you to, to go show the priests that you can now be declared clean. And the reason why Jesus is doing this is it shows here this holistic picture. It wasn't that Jesus wanted him to just be clean. He actually wanted to allow him to be restored to the culture, to the community. And so he's saying, listen, I've made you clean, and now do what is required of you so that you now can be back in community, back in touch with everybody. Leviticus pointed out the need for us to be holy people, and Jesus is the one who made him holy. One commentator, he wrote this, I loved it. Jesus declared to this man, I am cleanliness. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what has been done to you. I don't care how inadequate you feel, how ashamed you are. If you will come in connection with me, you're clean. It doesn't matter how stained. It doesn't matter how tainted. It doesn't matter. I and cleanliness itself. And Jesus flips everything on its head and he makes uncleanliness, which used to be contagious, now holiness contagious. Friends, if you're struggling with the spot this morning, my invitation to you is to come. To come and know that there is no sin so grave that the cleanliness of Jesus can't make you clean. Jesus' gut response is compassion and to reach out and to make the leper clean and to make you and me clean. He has that power. And you might be thinking, how? And in some ways, there is a great cost to having that power. And let's consider the cost to Jesus, the exchange that Jesus makes. Read it one more time, verse 43 through 45. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So just quickly, why does Jesus say don't tell? Right? It's a fair and interesting question. And I think it's actually a pretty fairly and simple answer. He, he's already been setting this up. The, the demons were coming and he was telling them not to tell that what's happening in this arc of Jesus' story is he, he, he isn't ready to yet show everybody who he is. And he, so he's showing them but trying to train and equip his disciples. So there's a lot going on, but he's like, I, I don't want it to become all about my miracles. I, I really want it to become about my teaching. So he's like, I need you guys to be patient. My, if you remember this story with Jesus and his mother, when he turns the water into wine, he says, it's not my time yet. And it's a similar thing here. It's not my time yet, so, so I need you guys to not tell anybody. But this guy... <laughs> 
I mean, Jesus, Mark even says, Jesus sternly warned him. I mean, okay, parents, what is a stern warning, right? How many of you gave a stern warning yesterday? We know what sternly means, right? Some of us, you know, maybe we were making excuses for the leper. You know, man, he's excited. I mean, he just got healed. It's a big deal. Yeah, no one's touched him in 30, 40 years. I mean, you, you might want to run and tell too. It's interesting. I, I read a lot about this because I was like, what's really going on here? And every single person that I read said, called it disobedience. Now, I don't know if I'm quite ready to go there, actually. I actually think Mark doesn't want us to pay attention to the leper. Like, it's important here to understand that, yes, what he did, it caused something. But I think what Mark's trying to do is help us see what it caused for Jesus. And, and there's a word here that's incredibly important that Mark uses, that he's actually been using throughout the beginning of chapter 1. And he said, so that Jesus could no longer enter a town, but was out in desolate places. So, we have this thing in our family when we're watching TV shows or we're watching a movie. We all of my daughters and daughter, they're great readers. They love story, love story arc. And so when we're watching something, we have this thing where when we think there's like this foreshadowing moment, we, we, we do something. So like, for, you know, like you'll be watching a TV show and someone will say, well, don't go do that or you're going to go get yourself killed. And we're like, oh, 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 foreshadow, foreshadow. But we don't want to shout it out in the middle of the TV show what it means. So we do this thing. We snap our fingers. Yeah, it's really, and actually, we do that, we, we snap it, we, we, we snap it, I learned actually, I didn't know this, we snap it four times, hence foreshadow. I was telling Dondra I was going to use this, uh, and she's like, oh, you know, we snap four times, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, four times, four times, that's good, foreshadow, foreshadow. So you guys, when Mark wrote the gospel, he wasn't just like recounting. He wasn't just retelling. He was writing in such a way, in such a beautiful and profound and powerful way to lead up to us being exposed to and encountering this man the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And throughout his story, he's trying to do something to help awaken our souls to who this man is. And when he writes, so that Jesus could no longer enter a, enter a town openly, but was out in the desolate places, he's saying, my friends, there is a man who will trade places with you who are unworthy and unclean. That if you see in this picture, what literally happens is you have a leper who was out where? In the desolate places. 
that he was on the outskirts of society, that he was on the edge of town, that he wasn't allowed to come in. And what does Jesus do? Even when he's disobedient, what does Jesus do? He takes his place. He goes out to the desolate places and takes the place of the leper. So what? So that the leper could have life. And my friends, that hope is for you as well. That Jesus, no matter your sin, no matter the spot, no matter the bloodstained hands that you came into here this morning with, that you were holding desperately onto, Jesus would say to you, come, be clean. I will, and I will, I will take that on myself so that you can be made clean. Jesus' gut of compassion runs so deep towards you and me that he went to the uttermost dark place that none of us could endure so that we might be made clean. So, What for you is the spot? If you will, if you would come to and fall on your knees before the king and say, out, damn spot, he will touch you and he will say, I will be clean.